0: thinking that you know what is best for you is already looking at yourself way more than what you really are because what do you really know about life and about yourself and so so having an idea that i have to be that person i have to be this great, great contact improviser already that ambition is rooted with some kind of a false understanding that you have around yourself and you should be open to the fact that okay you throw yourself in a certain direction that your intuition was leading you but if you can stay open to the fact that you that your intuition might not be the most precise and life wants to teach you something else. So then you can kind of ride the detour that life's offer you rather than insist.
1: Being in the present moment is easier said than done. Meditation is one way to do this. But as soon as you have to be in the present moment with someone and react to someone else, another difficult level comes in. Improvisation theatre has taught me a lot in this respect. And just a few weeks ago, I heard about contact improvisation for the first time. So I thought, let's invite Matan Levkovic to talk about contact improvisation, a form of result open dance. all the listeners who have never heard of contact improvisation before can you briefly explain what contact impro is
0: yes yesterday i was actually thinking <laughs> to prepare a definition because it's very complicated uh, yes i would say that contact improvisation is an an open-ended dance exploration that takes place with a, a partner or multiple partners and that in, can involve but is not limited to the exploration of touch between the, the two dancers and that there is a constant interplay between the dancers where they touch and the physical forces that affect affects them during the dance uh, and again like I, I, I can assume that this definition doesn't create a clear picture so I will try to also make something more visual you can imagine uh, you know two people Pressing each other back to back while they are a little bit tilting off their, uh, on the vertical axis. So they're actually codependent on one another to, 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 to to maintain their balance. And while being aware of this pull of gravity that, the, the, the pull of gravity that can direct their movement, they are trying to roll the point of contact from one area in the body to another and use the, the potential kinetic energy that is stored in their shared balance for the next movement. So this will be kind of a um, a typical moment that you can see in contact improvisation. But the, the reason why I said open-ended exploration is because contact has a certain gravity center for its technique, but it can be pulled to any direction of the curiosity of the practitioners. So some people are very very interested in the acrobatic and and sportive aspect of the dance so they could explore the techniques and the lifts and the challenging moves but some other people are more interested in social structure so they might pull the practice into asking what contact improvisation has to do with the structure of society for example no So there is a shared gravity center of the material but from there the community is spread from you know People are curious about Tantra and pe- uh, up to people who are uh, using contact as a, as a platform for political activism and, and people who are just doing it as a recreational activity. So it's very, very hard to say what it is. But there is some shared center of material, physical material that, you, that one can recognize
1: for me, it was really interesting when I tried uh, a session with you. I know Latin dance and I know standard dance. And it was, part of it was a relief that there is not really rules. You know what I mean? Like you have to have your head a certain way or your hands. But part of it made it really scary because I didn't actually know what I have to do. Do you students usually say the same what mm-hmm. I, I, I say now?
0: Yeah, I will answer it from, from like going with a little story from my early days of starting to teach. When I started teaching contact improvisation, I had the chance to be mentored by my first teacher, a guy called Tu from Israel. And he asked me, what do you think is the most challenging thing for people who are new to contact improvisation? And I kind of started to think about the different techniques that we are teaching and I and 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 I don't know I came up with some few ideas maybe it's the, the carrying the weight or going down smoothly to the floor and then he told me no you're thinking already too in details but just think very broadly and then he he said like the challenges are inherited in the name contact for many people being in contact with other people is a challenging thing mm. physical contact but also emotional contact whatever contact means that's already a big challenge. And the second thing is improvisation that for many, many people, the moment you are confronted with the freedom that improvisation gives you you're, you're lost. Why? Because, okay, with freedom comes responsibility. And if you don't know what are the options or what is allowed or what is not allowed. So then you're, you're, you're just floating in, in space with not knowing where is left and where is right. So definitely what you have experienced is something that I keep seeing with people who are new to the form and and i think that it's also related to some degree to like a general tendency on how how we teach movement and dance and sports in society so it's very much um dependent on the transmission of specific forms so so diving into improvisation is always a, a big step it's it's I would say that improvisation is inherently more challenging than, than learning a, a choreography. But also, again, there is this social tendency that we keep uh, teaching ourselves very specific movements, but not how to improvise movement. I mean, I don't know how about you, but I mean, of course, I played sport as a kid, but even when we played sport, it was mainly like the practice was, okay, learning specific drills that are very predefined, but we nobody was talking with me, for example, in in my basketball years about the improvisational aspect of basketball, you know? like how to be creative in the moment while you play basketball. Nobody is th- no. You have specific drills. Okay, okay. You pass the ball here, then you should go from the left. You should go from the right, and then something should happen. But what if the expected plan isn't working? Mm, we don't know, and nobody is talking about it. So I would say that it also, of course, translate to the challenge of facing improvisation for somebody who starts contact to study contact improvisation because there's not so much space to practice improvisation.
1: It reminded me more of the difference between being an employee in a company and being self-employed. Like when you're an employee, you have more rules or a frame and then suddenly you're self-employed and actually you need to be creative, have your own ideas. And I was never really taught how to be creative. I mean, I had art lessons in school or something for an hour a week. But this improvisation and then being creative and just don't know what will be next is something I have the feeling we don't really learn. Mm,
0: Yeah, yeah, I can. I I think that for me, like when I confront like a a problem, like, okay, how to teach somebody to be creative, which I think is a big, big challenge. First, I want to break it down into, various types of creativity because I think that also the word creativity can be understood in many different ways. So there are the type of people that can can envision something that doesn't exist.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there are people who are very good in creating variations from things that do exist. And both for me would be categorized under creative activity. But uh, I can say about myself, I'm a much more creative person when it comes to bringing new variation into life. So for me, if, if since I'm aware of it, I know that if I want to kind of discover new approaches to dance, it's not going to be easy for me just to be in the studio and, and use what I know to bring something new to life. I, I would need to kind of touch different subject or go and explore other types of movement practices, and then think of how can I create variation from the new thing into the thing that I'm working with, and then I can come up with a completely new exercise that I've never done before. And another thing that I think that relates to creativity is that some people, their creative spirit comes when they are kind of retreating into their caves, m- metaphorically speaking, but maybe also practically speaking. And some people, their creative spirit comes when they are touching the material that they are playing with. So again, like me, if I need to sit at home and plan a class and write down what exercise I do and think of new ideas, I'm getting lost and nothing comes out. But I would say that 99% of my ideas came while I was teaching. And then suddenly a student told me something and I was like, whoa, this is a super interesting idea. I've never seen that connection. And then suddenly I have a, a, a fresh thought that wasn't there before, and in the moment I I can create a new exercise that didn't exist before. So, so it's already I think makes it a little bit easier to understand. Like okay, and and another thing that we have to confront is that some people are not creative, you know. <laughs> in, 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 and and I w- and I'm saying it not as kind of a negative thing because I think that creativity sometimes stands in opposition to conscientiousness. So a person who, who has really strong ability to organize and make things in order, in their nature, they are people who are more challenged by chaos. And creativity is linked with the ability to exist in chaos. So that, okay, there is lack of order and then black, something new comes into life, a little bit like a kind of an evolution. Mm. And, and some people, their personality structure is geared to create order and not to exist in chaos. So, so then, and these people are very important and I can see it also on a, like, you know, I, I I was born in Israel and I, and now I've been living in Austria for 12 years and I see that on a national level, Austria is a much more conscientious state than Israel. You know, things here are functioning, they are organized. But for example, when COVID uh, started, you could see how a state like Israel that is very, very on a creative side managed to very quickly come with a improvised solution. And it, for Austria, it took some time, kind of like, what shall we do? Things are not as they are supposed to be. But few years later, the infrastructure here is way more organized than anywhere else. So again, there's a little bit of a, you know, fortale and Nachtil, advantage and disadvantages for both. So... But it's. I think that's very good to kind of ask yourself if you because I think creativity is always. I mean, at least in the context that I exist, people always treat creativity as like everyone should be creative, and that's the best thing. And if you're not creative, you can you will have a boring life. And creativity is the. No, I mean, for s- some people, they're, they're just not creative in their personality structure, but they can have other other gifts that are very valuable for society and for their community. So.
1: You know, when you were talking, I was like, what personality would I be? And I'm the person who would plan and write down and have a structure. And then as soon as I'm there, I get rid of all the structure. But it gives me security to show up. You know what I mean? I have to plan the questions for this interview. And then I ask like two of 30 and the other ones just come up. But it gives me security to actually start the interview with you.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I, I also, I'm also hosting a podcast and I also do that to some degree. When I, when I write, then I find myself being able to be creative because somehow writing is an embodied practice. Like you are sitting there with, in the moment with your thoughts and you're trying to bring it into the paper. Yeah. So I can understand you. And I think that that's, that's not, uh, there is a tension between uh, the frame and, and how you can improvise inside the frame or like the, the, the boundaries you create. And actually yesterday, you know, two days ago, I, I sat with a, with an interesting colleague who is visiting now in Austria who told me something very interesting regarding the, the, the notion of creativity. And I think that it, it connects a little bit to what we are talking is that there is this term, there is this notion that you can only improvise within a clear boundaries and, and, but there are those who are improvising with the boundaries themselves. So there are those people who can be in a place, recognize, ah, that's the boundaries of the place, but how can I perceive the boundaries as something fluid that I can check what's beyond, beyond that? And these are the people that I mentioned that their creativity is to bring something new into the world that, that didn't exist before. And, and, and on the other hand, those who manage to improvise and play within boundaries are typically those who are more able to create variation from existing things. So, And and again, I think both are very important for the evolution of ideas, the evolution of material, or whatever we want to rediscover, discover.
1: Mm. If we are already on a philosophical part, the most interesting thing when having the session with you was this codependency what we were already talking about. So if I lean on you, you also have to lean on me. Otherwise, I would fall to the ground. And it it reminded me of, let's say, an argument between two people. If I lean on you and I argue with you, and you just leave the room, um, I fall to the ground. Is there anything that you learned when it comes to confrontation and conflicts from from uh, contact improvisation?
0: Mm, that's a super interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> So first I want to do some technical differentiation in the starting point of what you said about the codependency. So from a a mechanical point of view, when you're dancing contact improvisation, there could be two distinct situations when one partner is leaning towards the other partner. So let's say partner A gives weight to partner B. Partner B can mirror and become codependent on partner A and then there is codependency. But it can also be the case that you're leaning on me and I just channel the weight to the floor so that I'm not dependent on you back. So there could be different situation. Again, there could be two people that are not depending on one another at all. So maybe we are just touching each other with the palms of our hands. And if I disappear, nothing happens to you. And if, if, if you disappear, nothing happens to me. Then there could be the case that one is leaning and one is leaning back. So now we are both dependent or that one is leaning and one is just channeling to the ground. So there is already a, a kind of a room to play with dependency as a as a topic. I would say in contact improvisation. Now how now when it comes to conflict, I would say that in in principle, I would say that contact improvisation is a practice that doesn't aim from co- for confrontation, but it aims for collaboration. So in comparison to martial arts, for example. So I would say that. In order to study conflict, contact improvisation is not necessarily the best ground. But because contact improvisation involves partner work, it's inevitable that there will be some friction. And even in a practice that aims for harmony, it's inevitable that we will meet disharmony. And I think that what I'm learning from contact improvisation is more kind of through what is missing in the practice, not what the practice aims. And if I kind of generally, if I'm generalizing Broadly, the culture of contact improvisation. So there is a certain attempt within the culture to avoid conflict, to avoid anything that might be confrontational. So, for example, it comes, it manifests in the insistence that contact improvisation should be a non-hierarchical practice, that like okay, and that it should be inclusive to every person. So that there wouldn't be any conflict, because if I'm saying that contact improvisation, if I'm saying that there is hierarchy and some people are better than the other, it might create an emotional conflict for for some people to recognize. Okay, I'm better than you. What does it mean that I'm better than you? Of course, that's that that hierarchies are often can create, especially for people who are more agreeable. It can create tension. And the second thing that is very dominant in the contact culture is inclusivity that everybody is welcome to practice contact improvisation which i would say that fundamentally it's a very nice thing to do no like to not to exclude anybody because of co- of course exclusion will create uh, some kind of a form of uh, yeah of maybe some feeling of isolation or negative emotion and and to tell to somebody hey you're not welcome it's already a confrontation and by saying everybody is welcome i'm already avoiding a certain type of conflict so, I would say that what i what I've learned about conflict was more by watching how the culture of contact improvisation is or what what is the is the let's say the most dominant values in contact improvisation, and what is the shadow that those values are hindering like what are the things that that we cannot pursue because of this insistence and, and i and I can speak shortly that for me, like the notion of inclusivity at any cost sometimes creates problems because, for example, I'm hosting every week a contact improvisation jam in Vienna. And there is a certain problem that often happens within contact improvisation circles about boundary crossing. And why? Because in the practice, there is it's such an open practice and you need so much responsibility. And we are also using touch in a way that is so far from the norm that many times people who are just new to the practice can get completely lost. And I've seen it several times that you see two beginners working in and they completely dive into this sensual realm. And when you see it from the outside, I would say it, sometimes it looks like two people doing dry sex rather than dancing, but they are so caught in the experience that they don't even notice. Ah, oh, that's what is going on because they just got trapped in the pleasant sensation and touch. And it's overwhelming. So in my jam, I said, okay, if you're a new, if you're, if you're a newcomer and you have never done contact, you're not allowed to participate. You can watch, but before you participate, go and take some classes so that you understand what you're doing. That's a form of exclusion. And I know that for several people in the contact scene, that seems like, Hey, why wouldn't you want to welcome new people into the practice? And for me, in that situation, let's say uh, safety becomes higher in the, in my values than inclusivity. So, so there could be situation where inclusivity would have negative outcomes, but when you come, when you look at it from kind of an ideological perspective or, or if you just have a strong emotional attachment to this value, then you wouldn't even question it. So that's how I, uh, I, again, it's a very long answer that maybe I answered not very directly, but that's how I learn about conflict through existing in the culture for many years. But again, like the practice in principle, it aims for collaboration, not for confrontation. So you know, I'm, I'm also practicing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and there from day one, it's like, okay, somebody wants to control you. How do you stay calm? That's immediately, okay, confrontation is there in the room. Contact improvisation, the confrontation comes in a more subtle way and it takes more time to actually notice that we are also dealing with that. But as I said, some people are interested more in, let's say, conflict. And then you can see some teachers that are involving martial art ideas into contact improvisation. So, so again, it's not that it's not present at all. It's just not in the center of the practice.
1: Since how many years do you do already contact improvisation?
0: Mm. When did I start? Uh, I started in 2007, I think. So now what we are? two thousand and 22. 22. So 15 years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Did it did contact improvisation like change your behavior or how you interact with other people do you see I mean of course there's always development within 15 years and it's hard to say if it was just contact improvisation but can you really see that something shaped you from contact mm. impro
0: I would say for sure yes because as you said like no matter what you would have done it would have shaped you so so just but if I'm trying to think what fundamentally contact open to me, I, I would say that contact enables us to reappropriate touch in various forms. For most people that are living in, let's say, the Western world, touch is appropriate in very specific situations. So, with your romantic partner, uh, people who are working with in in, in care with elderly or. Or uh, physicians, people who are giving te- therapy or manual therapy, so there is some way that some form of touch that is appropriate. People who are doing contact sports, touch each other, touch one another, but in a very specific way. And I would say that contact improvisation just enables us to explore touch as a as a as a, as a subject, to discover different ways of different qualities of touch, and, diff- and and enables us to experience how how do we feel about being touched and to some degree to differentiate between sensuality and sexuality, between aggression and intensity of touch. You know, like I would say that many people can, you know, if they experience very strong touch, they can immediately associate it into violence. And, and in contact improvisation, you have the possibility to experience different ways of, different qualities of touch. So that's definitely something that opened up. I can say that as a, as a, uh, you know, I grew up in in the Middle East, in Israel, where I would say the society was relatively on the machoistic side. So contact improvisation also enabled me to find the pleasure of having physical contact with other men without this, uh, you know, as a kid, we, the only way I, I touched and have been touched by my friend was in kind of a competitive, mm. rough way, you No. Know? So any any intimate touch between men would immediately be categorized as, homo, as, as homoerotic. Yeah. Or, so I think contact improvisation enabled me to find the pleasure of having intimate touch with other men. I just had a, a very good friend of mine who visited here in Vienna, and we we had a, we went together to a to, to a contact jam, and we had a really really nice duet that really moved between this kind of more rough playful, competitive into very sensitive and, and, and yeah, when I think about when I have like kind of memories from my old brother when I was very young. So I remember that he used to kind of torture me, but at the same time, you know, like kind of physically taunt me, but at the same time, you know, he would sometimes lift me and carry me because so there is this mix between softness and hardness that I find it very interesting to, to explore. But I would say that fundamentally Contact improvisation is not different than any other activity. If your aim is that you want to become more aware of yourself, you can do it through contact. But you can also dance contact for years and just repeat your own shadows. You know, it's not that contact has any supernatural ability to transform humans. I would just say that any activity that you take time and there is no particular outcome, desirable outcome, then you have a frame where you can say, okay, what is the... What is the value I get from doing that activity? Because if, you know, if you're dancing and you, you don't generate any end product, so the process becomes immediately more important than the result because there is no clear result. So in that regard, contact is special. And maybe that's again something that is unique in contact is our society. When we think about embodiment, we are very geared to work hard to get... Result, you no, know, like this kind of paradigm. Like if you invest energy, then you can get some outcome. And in contact improvisation, you're really learning how rest and non-doing can serve for generating what you want to generate. So contact aims for a certain harmonious communication with the natural forces around you. So, so if I compare it to kind of like a, like a fitness model of the body where you want to strengthen the muscles and really build stronger body in order to be able to move. In contact improvisation, one of the main topics of exploration is how to relate in a more efficient way to gravity, which is a force that is always there. So I can do very virtuosic movement, not because I've worked in the gym to strengthen the muscles, but just because I've learned how to move very efficiently and to align my body in a way that enables me to utilize the forces around me. So that would be something special in contact improvisation. But again, how it affects your personality, that's already, I think, a very personal question. Some people can do this process and become very humble and think about ecology and how to live in a more harmonious way in the universe. And some people can just develop an ego trip and say, hey, I'm the most efficient mover, whatever. You know. So I don't know. It's very... (laughs) Yeah, personally, I, I think I had ups and downs. I had moments that I really felt, wow, in contact improvisation, I'm just, it's just a, a ground for me to kind of express my shadows. And in some moments, I felt, wow, it's really a place I can learn something and, and, and discover, uh, uh how to alter my behavior in order to be more supportive for myself and for colleagues around. So.
1: when when i did con, uh, contact improvisation this one class with you and also when i did improvisation theater the thing that i took out from sessions is active listening like what you said already is like we have so much ambition and try to be better, but active listening, for example, is a skill that you have to be fully open to not have a preset answer in your head. And this doesn't work with contact, improv, or improv theater. And for me, this was the greatest learning because I always wanted to have the right answer already, you know, mm. and, and sound smart. And it just doesn't work with improvisation.
0: Yes, yeah, no, I think that you're you're touching something that is in the maybe that's the meta skill of improvisation to be able to listen no? yeah. like uh, because things are manifesting from moment to moment and in any moment there is kind of certain amount of potential of future action that could be taken and being able to listen respond or react or observe also like it's a very very crucial skill and I would say that it's not limited to dance, improvisation or to theater. It's, I would say that every practice that is based, every partner practice that is based on improvisation. And in that regard, also sport could be part of that demands this ability to, to develop a sense of listening. I would say that in contact improvisation, we have the vocabulary to teach it. Mm. And again, I compare it to. Uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu which is a very very similar you develop a very similar skill set from like contact improvisation you listen through your skin to your partner but the pedagogy of brazilian jiu-jitsu nobody is talking about like listening through your skin <laughs> it's what we do <laughs> but nobody's talking about it so the the pedagogy is much more i would say may, uh, aligned with kind of mainstream fitness and like, okay, you break down a certain technique, you show it then everybody copies but what you actually do is that you're learning how to listen to your skin, that's what you do but nobody talks about it or I would say that, of course, some teachers are talking but it's not as common as in contact improvisation and I think that's kind of the um, that's maybe the, the related to the fact that contact improvisation is something that emerged from the Experimental dancing in the U.S. So it was always part of the world of performing arts. Uh, From a societal level, art is part of the process of reimagining society, reimagining human life. So it's part of, let's say, progressive thinking. And martial art, to some degree, is a much more. It relates to, uh, in its essence, to conserve life in when you confront a conflict. So, so martial art is a much more aligned with the ideas of conserving something, how to prevent something from happening and dance is how to, how to enable something new to happen. So, so I'm not surprised that in contact improvisation, the whole pedagogical approach is much more, let's say, new than in the world of martial art. But uh, again, that's really the meta skill. and and, and I think that it's, it's nice that just from one experience with one class it was also already so present for you because that's the essence of the of what you practice when you communicate with a partner, how to listen. And to some degree, also what we are doing now in the podcast. At least that's what I'm learning when I'm in your room when I'm hosting.
1: (laughs) You know, because you said martial arts, I was thinking of arts. I was always a big fan of Pablo Picasso. And I mean, he did about 50,000 pieces in his life and only 100 became masterpieces. And I'm sure he didn't like sit down and paint and knew the outcome. So it was always more curiosity what the end result will be. And he didn't gain a lot of success when you think about Fifty thousand pieces, and one hundred of them are known. And then I wrote, uh, read a quote from Nancy Stark Smith, one of the pioneers of contact improvisation, and she said, "Replace ambition with curiosity." And I was like, "Okay, but this really uh, goes together for me. Like, if you want to be, I mean, successful in a way of creating something new, experiencing something new, then you cannot have a plan how it's going to look like." Mm.
0: Totally, one hundred percent, and I'm I'm also quoting this sentence very often in my classes, and I have a little, as I told you, that I'm creative in creating variation, so I have my variation for this sentence, which for me uh, would be that you want to have your ambition when you have when when you look at things from the bird's eye perspective. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I like for example. In one year, I want to feel comfortable going to any gym anywhere in the world. That could be some kind of a plan. Then you're ambitious. You want to say, okay, I I I have curiosity to contact. I feel a lot of fear when I go to a gym. In one year, I want to feel comfortable. So then you can be ambitious about this kind of plan and say, okay, I'm going to sign up for this course and I'm going to spend hours and I'm going to dedicate my life for that. But in the moment when you are practicing then you should throw your ambitions to the side because then you sh- then the ambition will hinder your progression because you have to be curious to see what is actually happening. Ambition is already uh, your your mind is already pre pre predefined to a certain outcome. And I would say that uh, again, if I think about the culture of contact improvisation, so the culture of contact took this sentence of replacing ambition into curiosity and just looked. Uh, so there is a certain. Um, Already an ideological uh, um, uh, look at ambition as something negative. Ah, if you're ambitious, it's like you you want to get too much. You like you're not listening. But again, for me, ambition has its place in the world. It's not something that is always negative. But the place for me, and that's what I encourage my students. Okay, if you wanna again, because if you wanna feel more comfortable in contact improvisation, but you have zero ambition, why would you even go? to practice maybe you just do what you enjoy but any learning will confront you with moments that you and it doesn't matter if it's contact or painting you would confront in moments that you cannot do what you want to do okay you really enjoy contact and you want to do a certain lift but you realize ah i'm not i don't know how to do that so you you will confront your uh, your shortcomings And that could be unpleasant. And if you have zero ambition, I would say that it will be more difficult to keep facing those shortcomings. So maybe if you completely have no ambition, you say, okay, I'm just not going to do this shoulder lift. I cannot do it, whatever. I'm just going to dance differently. Why Why would I want to do something that is so difficult? I can just be curious to other things. And that's true, you can. But for me, when I think about uh, my own evolution of, unders- of 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 my contact journey and understanding contact. So I would say that yeah, the the moments that I have l- kind of leaps of understanding were the moment that I actually confronted something that was challenging, and I was curious to see w- how can I feel myself in different ways, confronting this challenge, and f- eventually managed to have a certain breakthrough. But I definitely was ambitious in the overall arch of things. I wanted to know more. I I had this kind of fire. And that's a different way. You can change the word ambition with inner fire. And then it sounds like, I don't know, tribal and cool. (laughs) (laughs) Because ambition sounds like, oh my God, you're kind of ambitious and you're going to destroy the planet. But if you say, yeah, inner fire, that sounds like something nice. So for me, definitely Nancy Stark Smith brought something that was very necessary in the time where they developed contact improvisation because... The way people were studying dance back then was very much connected to ambition because they did things that are crazy like Cunningham technique and ballet and all these very, very difficult and let's say practices that you re, it's almost like a, you know, like sport. You really have to condition your body to do very difficult movement and contact is much more easy to the body. So, so this curiosity is, is wonderful, but it, for me, it has to be accompanied with like, Reappropriating ambition is something that is not negative, because otherwise, what you see, and that's something that is also very often happening. When I was more touring and teaching contact outside of Austria, I would go to teach workshops, and then I would ask people, "What is your experience level?" Or and then people would say like, "Yeah, I've been doing contact for fifteen years," and then I would dance with that person, and I would say, "Maybe you've been coming to the gyms for fifteen years, but you haven't learned so much during these years." And and then it really made me wonder like how is it possible that somebody goes for 15 years but they don't progress so it can be that there is no incentive structure for progression you know in jiu-jitsu if you don't progress you keep losing and that's not so pleasant to always lose Uh, i mean i haven't met a person that can lose all the time and still be happy so (laughs) maybe there are some people like that but there is this incentive okay you also want to be a little bit on the winning side And in contact, there is nothing to win or lose. So there is no incentive to progress. Plus there is a culture that tells you that ambition is something that is not good. So then you end up with people that can practice many, many, many years, but not progress at all. So my role, and that's how I see it as somebody who is like, I don't know, fifth generation of contact improviser or something like that is to, is to ask, okay, how, how does, how are those values that were very present in the seventies? How they, what, what is their, how can we understand them now? And are they still relevant or no? Because otherwise y- you actually y- take a practice that was very progressive and you become very conservative about it. Like, no, 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 we should keep those values that were present. But for me, that's not interesting. I, I always want to ask what is the relevancy now and should we alter it or no? And doing it carefully, not just to throw all the values and say like, hey, we should start fresh. No, but to as- to keep asking the question. That it- otherwise it stagnates and become yeah, otherwise contact improvisation become a traditional practice and not a contemporary practice.
1: And I mean it's just a quote, you don't know from which bigger frame it was taken. It's just a sentence. So but while you were talking about ambition, I was like, yeah, ambition is fine, but if you bring your ego into it and always want to win or want to gain something, then maybe this is the problem, not ambition. Because if I would not be ambitious, I wouldn't do a, a podcast. But if I would bring my ego all the time, I would try to ask questions that nobody has ever mm. asked you before. But this doesn't, I mean...
0: Yeah, I mean, that's. A, that's I think that's a good differentiation. I mean, I, I would challenge it in the sense that I don't know how not to bring the ego <laughs> in the sense of like...
1: Okay. Oh, I can teach you that! <laughs>
0: No, I mean maybe it's a, maybe it's a matter of semantics. I, what I mean by that is that, like, I always sense that okay, my ego is with me. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a question of like, is it is How my crazy. ego is the leader or yeah. is it or is it yeah. following me? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just a matter of semantics. But no, I agree with you. I think that like, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that um, yeah, I'm, I'm.
1: You want to be ambitious, but you don't have the need to succeed. Uh, yeah, uh,
0: you know, I would say that. Yeah, it's a. It's if I'm trying to break it down, it's like I I I I make a plan, and I really want to to have a certain outcome with my plan for myself, but I want to keep a certain amount of flexibility in my mind that maybe, yeah, that may maybe my plan will not uh, materialize, Mm -hmm. and I would say that what helps me to kind of be a bit more humble is the notion that. Thinking that you know what is best for you is already, is already looking at yourself way more than what you really are because what do you really know about life and about yourself? And so, so having an idea that I have to be that person, I have to be this con- the great, great contact improviser, already that ambition is rooted with some kind of a false understanding that you have around yourself and you should be open to the fact that, okay, you throw yourself in a certain direction that your intuition was leading you, but if you can stay open to the fact that you that your intuition might not be the most precise and life wants to teach you something else. So then you can kind of ride the detour that life's offer you rather than insist. But yeah, that's already like, you know, (laughs) opening a completely uh, different direction. But I would say that to some degree, contact improvisation might show you this principle, you know, like you have a certain plan you want to, you want to go somewhere, but the physical forces around you just pulls you in a completely different direction. And then you can feel it if you do want to insist on your idea. You are in resistance to what is happening physically. You can experience it. Ah, oh, wow, I need to engage with more muscle tone. I, 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 I need to stop my partner from doing something. I enter a conflict. And sometimes conflict is desirable and sometimes not. And and I think yeah, to some degree you can sense it with your body when you're doing contact.
1: If you would be in my position because you have a podcast as well and you have to interview somebody who does contact improvisation, what would be the most important question that you would ask yourself in that case? something that you would always love that somebody would have asked you, but nobody was ever smart enough to do.
0: <laughs> no i i I don't know if if it comes from that perspective about some like for me there is a certain question that I would say that is maybe not well enough uh, addressed is what the hell are we doing there? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm saying it in the sense that like, on one hand, it's very clear that, okay, it's a dance form. We go and we use touch to roll around. But for me, contact improvisation opened so many other realms in my life and, and, and confronted with with me with so many different layers of my personality, of my habits, of my desires, my ambition, um, uh, my ambition, and so many other aspects that, that, that I haven't seen in other physical practices that I've been doing. And I have the feeling that like, we don't, like, that as a community, we are, we are we are not fully in understanding of what is the potential of this practice because it's such a new thing. And on one hand, we know what we, 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 we have some technical framework, some exercises, but when we go into the gym, we are entering a space, which is more ambiguous than, uh, than clear. So, so in a way, even though that when I think of yeah, contact gem, I know exactly what I'm gonna see there. I the experience could be so wild that I that I don't really know what we are doing, and like, what is this activity? Is it is it therapeutic? Is it spiritual? Is it uh, recreational? Is it sport? Is it? And I think that those are questions that uh, uh, I mean, definitely people contemplate on it, and that there is also like a body of. Uh, work called the Contact Quarterly that was created, curated by Nancy Stark Smith and 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 few other people in the community of like a collection of writing around contact. And I, I think again, many people reflect on what is it for them. Uh, but I think that this kind of potential is really unknown because it's uh yeah because there is something that happens when a bunch of people enter a room with curiosity. And not really knowing what will happen. It's very different than a bunch of people that enter a room kind of knowing what they're going to consume. And, and this leaves a certain room for, yeah, for the unknown, for like, Hey, we don't know what will happen. So I think that would be an interesting question to have a, have a larger discussion in the community. Me personally, I, I, yeah, it's hard for me to kind of come up with a, now I find the pressure like, what is a smart question (laughs) to ask? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll just stay dumb and say, I don't know. <laughs>
1: uh, I don't know is, I think, a really good answer for some situations. Okay. Anyhow, I have three last yeah. questions. Three questions I ask every interview partner. Yeah. They are more broad in general. Yeah. So the first of the three is, what is your biggest fear? Hmm.
0: To lose... To, de- to lose the courage to confront my my biggest issues and i feel like there are certain things in my life that i'm that i am confronting right now that are challenging and the most important factor is to stay courageous to face them because the easiest thing is always just to just look a, look a, look to the other side and say okay i just don't want to deal with that yeah. but the courage is a, is a quality that will really determine if I will be able to actually face it. And I think that to some degree it's connected to this kind of hero archetype that nowadays I see as something that is uh, very often looked as some negative thing in society. But I think that it's a very, very important quality for the individual to maintain. So that's my fear, not to, to lose the hero inside of me. <laughs>
1: Uh, Second question: What are you currently doing that you still don't know how it will turn out? Hmm.
0: Ah, yeah, I'm. 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 I'm in the process of establishing. uh, I started uh, last year in 2011. I started 21. 21. (laughs) Sorry, it's it's, both are with one at the end. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) 2021 was the first year that I started teaching a long educational program in Vienna. And it was kind of in response to the COVID pandemic. And now it's the I'm starting, I've just finished the registration for the second year for the program. And there are a group of 50 people that will start studying with me in different programs. And I have no idea to where this project will evolve. I have some kind of a, I I made some kind of a vision board with a, a coach a few weeks ago. With like, hi, where could this place be in five years? And we threw some kind of imagination, but I have no idea what will happen and if it's going to materialize or in which way it will materialize. And I'm, I'm very excited to leave that evolution to see where will this project end up. And maybe in a few years there will be a, a building that is called the Movement Lab, and there will be like a real dance school here in Vienna. And maybe not. I don't know. <laughs>
1: The last question is less a question and more something I'll ask you. If somebody now listen to this interview and is like, wow, that's interesting. Is there anything like any task or anything you can give them and say, try this and everything we talked about, they can bring into action that they can start learning from what we talked about?
0: Yeah, I, I would say maybe something that I also always, always, I'm often encouraging my students to do because contact improvisation for me is anchored in a bigger umbrella, which is embodiment and developing a relationship with my body. From that perspective of I'm, I'm building a relationship with my body, I can later go and approach contact improvisation as one way of doing it. So kind of that's, that's this is in my own particular case. So I would say that one thing that I can advise every listener is when you wake up in the morning and you're lying in your bed, and I don't know if you wake up with an alarm clock or just kind of naturally you find yourself conscious. So before you automatically come out of your bed, just take a moment to observe and sense your body and then try to make a conscious decision which kind of movement you want to do in order to come out of bed. Are you going to roll to the left? Are you going to roll to the right? Are you going to spend time sitting first and then standing up? Are you gonna to shift to your hand and do a push up to, to lift yourself? Are you maybe gonna do a kick up roll <laughs> if you're like very ambitious and energetic? But that you you insert uh, a tiny moment of body awareness into your day, and that for me would be like that would be one of the reasons why I practice contact improvisation because it's a space where I can practice body awareness, and that would be a nice practice to start having that kind of flavor in your day.